This week on the Straight Talk and Mental Health Podcast, we're talking to Abigail Gimpel about her experience of parenting children with ADHD. We have six kids, amazing, amazing group of guys. And uh, they were being diagnosed one after the next with ADHD, which really freaked me out because I knew everything about ADHD or so I thought. them And the school was, was pretty much saying, you know, you're either going to medicate your children and then we're going to let them study here or you're not. And then you could figure out what you want to do with them, but they won't be here. You know, I have, I have clients who are being diagnosed and medicated at the age of four. There are two year olds who are medicated uh, after having been medicated for a couple of years. She said the message she got from it was that the way she is, is never okay. I'm a, I'm a New York Jewish mom. We're always, we're always giving advice to everyone. <laughs> so you walk down, you walk down the street in New York with a baby in a stroller and everyone's like, put the hat on. Oh, take the hat off. Oh, your child's sock fell off. So I can't control it. Thank you for sticking me in your ears. Thank you for watching me on YouTube, on your phone, on your smart TV, wherever you may be watching, wherever you may be listening. You are very welcome to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, episode 123. That's right, 123 episodes of the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, the podcast that does exactly that. It's Straight Talks Mental Health. My name is Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist with a degree in counseling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. This is not a psychotherapy podcast. I'm not here as a psychotherapist. I'm here as a host of the podcast who just happens to be a psychotherapist. A little bit of a little bit of a difference in the description. So, and I'm here to share my experience around life, around my clinical work, and I'm also here to host the guests from around the world. And we go around the world this week. As we talk to Abigail Gimbel, I'm hoping pronouncing it properly, I'm probably not, so my humblest apologies, and we say shalom as she is all the way from Israel, as she discusses, she's about as Jewish as it gets, she's a New York Jew that moved to Israel, and if anyone has ever watched the Goldbergs, all I can think of when talking to Abigail is, this is Beverly Goldberg, she is, as she describes, the very stereotypical proud Jewish mom, and she is certainly very proud of all of her children, all of whom some of which are officially diagnosed, some of which she got to the point where it's like, eh, don't need to diagnose anymore. We, we know what we're rolling with here. And she's here to share her experience, not just as being a parent of children with ADHD. How many children? Six of them. Yeah, it's tough being a parent. Imagine how tough it is being a parent to six children and one husband with ADHD. So she's not just a parent, but she's also a teacher. She's lecturing in college, she's a speaker, she's an author, so believe me when I say she knows her stuff, and she's got a very interesting take on the ADHD. If you agree with it, or you have a different opinion, please feel free to get in touch. You can do that, and you know how to do all of that. You can do that by hitting us up on the social media. That is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and the handle on all of those is at STMHPodcast. The handle is also the handle of the YouTube channel, at STMH Podcast. So if you could hit like, if you could hit subscribe, if you could drop a comment down below, if there's anything that resonates with the episode as we're going along, feel free to drop a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Or you can slide into the DMs on any of the social media. And the other thing you can also do is you can check out the website. And the website is www.stmhpodcast.com. You can sign up to the newsletter there. You can search, do a proper search of all of our previous episodes. And you can also email the podcast if you've got some correspondence, if you've got some feedback on the episode, if you want to come on and be a guest, if you'd like to email in some feedback around your own experience, you don't want to be a guest, but you'd like to have your story told, that's no problem at all. Please feel free to do that. I would love to hear from you. Because 
that's how we keep the that's how we keep the podcast going. You know, from your feedback and from people getting in touch to tell their stories. That's how we that's how we straight talk mental health. And Avigail is here to straight talk her mental health and what it's like being that parent. One of the other things you could really do to help out folks would be if you haven't already, I know many of you have, but if you haven't already, if you could please give a five star rating on Spotify or iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called these days. On Apple Podcasts, I think you can leave a comment. So please do if you if you could do that. That would be a big help because that means we can reach more people when we straight talk mental health. And sometimes around different countries in the world, I don't always get correspondence of the feedback on Apple Podcasts. It's only, I think, specifically to this region, which would be Ireland or the UK. Um, so if you do leave feedback and you're around the world and you leave feedback please let it be a five-star review uh and if you have a comment on it please just just send me a screen grab or just let me know what you've said because i don't always get a notification about that so that would be a huge help to give a five-star rating on spotify or itunes because that's going to help the podcast to grow because people go oh look lots of five stars it must be really good and it is very good and we're giving away all this stuff for absolutely free 99 no charge this is how we help everybody by not charging anybody. Last week on the show, we had Will Craig and what a story he had to tell. Uh, Will, so let me do the ding ding up there last week's show on YouTube if you're watching. Will came on last week and spoke about his, not just his own mental health journey, but also the experience of losing his partner. Will and his girlfriend were in their 20s when his girlfriend suddenly died. He got a strong feeling that something was wrong and unfortunately, he was very right. And the thing that struck me from last week's episode, um, and it's quite telling in how I originally titled the episode of the podcast, was Resilience. Uh, so the, all the files on, on, on the editing of the podcast are entitled Resilience. Because the thing that struck me from Will's experience was the resilience he's developed out of everything he's gone through. Will told us about his own near suicide, the suicidal ideation that, that he endured. And then he lost his girlfriend. So it wasn't that, you know, he had these thoughts of suicide and depression and anxiety after his girlfriend had died. He had experienced all of that before. So to go through the experience of losing her with those mental health difficulties already, I think, was um, a testament to, to Will's strength. And I think he offered a lot of hope. I think he offered a lot of hope to any listeners out there who may be on the brink of suicide, who may feel that there's no hope, who may feel your world has fallen apart. But as Will can attest to, there is. You can get through all of those things. You can face those, I think it was Carl Jung called it, the dark night of the soul, and come out stronger for it. You know, post-traumatic growth, as as the term is. So a big, huge thank you to Will, who came on last week and shared his experience. And if you, if you haven't listened back, please do. It's a great episode. And if you have listened back and something resonated with you, please do get in touch. And one of the people that did get in touch was Shauna. Shauna, I haven't heard from you in a while. Absolutely lovely to hear from you. Sean is one of our regular correspondents and one of our huge, huge supporters of the podcast. So a big thank you to, to Shauna for coming on. So Shauna had commented on the Instagram, which is, of course, at STMH Podcast. So watching now on YouTube and it's unleashed this fear. I've went and checked on my fiance like three times since started listening. Thank you to Will for coming on and sharing his story because it shows that you can survive and you can keep their memory alive. So Sean, obviously sharing the same sentiments as I have, that, you know, you can survive and Will has survived. And one of the other comments, and again, another one of our uh, another one of our listeners, and also, not just a listener, also one of our former guests, Rachel, who was on for our episode around dyslexia. Rachel, brilliant episode. Such a shame you pulled one of the episodes. This is in relation to having to pull the, the bullying episode on YouTube. 
if you haven't already, you can hear the story behind that on last week's episode. Uh, I don't blame you for having extra conditions for guests. Thanks very much, Rachel. Thank you for uh, commenting. And I'm glad Will's story has resonated with people because that's what we're here to do. We're here to tell people's stories. One of the other people that has shared his mental health story was Eric. We had Eric on, uh, Eric Allen, on a couple of weeks ago, episode 114 of the Straight Talk on Mental Health podcast. Eric's episode was specifically around ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I don't get into all of the uh, terminology, etc., as as we talk about it with Avigail later on. But if you want to learn a little bit more about ADHD in general, you can go back to that episode. You'll find it on YouTube and you'll find it on Spotify or iTunes or any of your major podcast providers. On YouTube, ding, ding, there's there's the link up there. I'll throw the link up there to Eric's episode. And Eric tells us specifically about his experience of having ADHD. Avigail is here to talk about her experience of being a parent and a teacher and a lecturer and being a parent to children six of them with ADHD and a husband also who was quotation marks highly energetic aka ADHD so with all of that being said let's say shalom to Abigail we've gone all around the world on the Straight Talk and Mental Health podcast we've been to America loads of times we've been to Canada loads of times we've been to Australia we've been all around Europe England the UK everywhere but for the first time we are heading to Israel as I'm hoping I correctly say shalom Shalom. Am I right? Yeah, there we go. Well done. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different from top of the morning to you, as people mostly suspect, but a genuine greeting of Shalom to Abigail Gimple, who is in Israel, but as we've just discussed off air, is fair Jewish. A Jewish oh, yeah. New Yorker. That's right. Pitched up by Moscow to Israel. So this this is it. <laughs> so nice to speak with you today. Excellent. First of all, how are you feeling today? What's going on in your world? Excellent. Doing great. Um, having a good day. We're preparing for a Passover holiday, so that's a whole lot of work. Mm. And um, I'm diving into it joyfully. Excellent. As our regular listeners to the podcast will know, we have a feature on the podcast, Abigail, called um, Smiles and Royals. So this is something that's made a smile or something that's got us riled, something that's got us down, anything like that. As the guest... It is your choice of where we go first, whether you would like to go with your smile or your royal to kickstart us. I always like to smile, so let's go there first. Um, Actually, my big smile for today, and I'm announcing it to the entire world before my uh, son actually proposes, so maybe that's a bad idea. But uh, my my husband and I traveled to the big city of Tel Aviv yesterday and uh, bought a beautiful diamond ring for our future daughter-in-law. So that wow. is, that's super exciting and uh, puts a huge smile on my face and a whole lot of butterflies in my stomach, <laughs> uh, but it's exciting. Mm. And uh, I don't know, what's what's getting me riled up today? Oh my God. Every does, time I so look, she doesn't know, does she know? So your, your future daughter, she, this hasn't happened yet. She, no, it hasn't happened yet. It's uh, So this podcast goes out on Tuesday now, so I just want to make sure we're, we're not Tuesday. Oh, goodness. So I will not share this link till a week later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll hold off on it. We'll hold off on it. No, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll just, I, my, my kids don't follow everything I do. I yeah. wrote a book about them, but uh, they, don't, they don't listen to everything I say. Shame on me. them. Shame Seriously. on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's really exciting. It's an otherworldly experience. Our, our daughters got married a couple of months ago and, uh, that's uh, it's a hard to put in words uh, kind of experience. I still haven't mm. fully assimilated it, but it's amazing. It's and uh, they keep choosing fantastic partners. I'm really proud of them. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Huh? Well, it probably comes down to the rearing. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. yeah well, what else could it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to do you want to stick in an extra smile? Have a go, just just in case, because I, I don't want to be getting in trouble, and I don't want to be getting you in trouble of <laughs> finding out. Uh, oh, you <laughs> you worried that, that she, she's really not going to hear it? I promise. I don't. I don't. Okay, I don't cool. All right, can we, can we just have that on the record? I'm not responsible for this. You one. are a gentleman. You did well with that. Excellent. And uh, what age is your son then? He is nearly twenty three. He's quite young. Mm. And his future bride is only 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's just completed this week his um, his full mandatory army service. He was uh, in an elite um, combat unit, mm. which kept his mom up at night constantly because I never knew where he was and what he was doing. And he would never mm. tell me till afterwards. And we had an agreement that he would lie to me and then would let me know on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, it's mandatory military service in Israel. It, it is mandatory military mm-hmm. service, but he did it really with his full energy and enthusiasm. He did great. Uh, we're very proud of him, and we're very, very glad that he's returned his rifle and uh, could move on to bigger and better. Cool. All right. Well, I think we'll go smile, smile. So, um, so, so for me this week. I'm going to go with a little bit of national pride as well. So Ireland in the rugby just completed the Grand Slam in the, in the Six Nations. So for our listeners around the world, it's probably one of the biggest rugby competitions outside of the World Cup run every year between Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales and uh, Italy. Did I leave anyone? Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, Italy. Oh, I forgot. Oh, and France. <laughs> the word, the word number two, and I forgot, and I forgot the French. So Ireland is we're a small little country, a population of I think uh, four million, and we're currently ranked number one in the world for rugby. And we've wow, beaten all the other teams. Yeah, so we beat England, the old, uh, the old enemy. And <laughs> they deserve it, by the way. <laughs> most, uh, I think, most countries around the world have have an issue with with the English of. For their history, um, we, we we try to move on from it all here, oh, but yeah. particularly with the rugby, as it's it it isn't rugby games aren't you know the fans aren't necessarily separated in the seating areas, not like soccer or football, you know, where one fan set of fans are up the other end, one fans are are kept separate. Um, it's usually good natured and. You know, after the after the whistle blows, everyone goes out and has a point together. So it nice. it, 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 it tends to be very mean- good. As long as you can get drunk, everything's okay. Yeah, and, and we did it on, on Paddy's weekend. So it was St. Patrick's end of Friday, and we beat England in Dublin on St. Patrick's weekend. So uh, apologies well, and condolences to our to our English listeners. Yeah, you look like you feel sorry for them. Ah, you know, <laughs> the trash talk. But the, inter- the interesting thing is the Ireland coach, his son is the captain of the English team. So, really? Yeah, it was a father and son kind of battle as well. So shout out to all the Farrells out there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So conflicted experiences, I would imagine. But it's nice, nice, nice to win the Grand Slam. We've only done it a couple of times in our history. And for such a small, small country, you know, it's a, it's a huge achievement for us. So that, that's my smile this week. Let's go with a Royal Avigail. What have you got for me? Oh, goodness. So so the, the news is always riles me up. That's for sure. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling great about how 
America is butchering their economy right now. So uh, that's certainly sitting on my mind, trying to figure out if my bank is next or what do we do with uh, with the savings? What do we do? Sell stock, keep stock. So that's definitely got me riled up. I'm more extreme on the, you know, money side um, decision making than my husband is. He's he's more conservative there. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm riling him up and trying to get him to like do crazy things, which he, we should probably depend on him more than me on this one. But that's definitely been sitting on my mind. Yeah, I mean that's you know I always say it's a you know and it's 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 a research based fact money doesn't buy you happiness after a certain threshold up to a certain point it does but after that you don't get any happier I think I think the threshold is about I think it's about seventy two thousand dollars check that out right yeah yeah but they've they've kind of correlated of you know as you go up in salary you know per a thousand dollars or something like that you can see your your happiness generally increase but after a certain threshold it just doesn't it has no more mm. no more impact on your happiness. So we all know and we all have this saying that money doesn't buy us happiness. But what it certainly does is it provides a buffer against stress. Right. So for something that's, you know, and the, the example I traditionally give to people would be, you know, if, if your car breaks and you've got the money to fix it, it's an inconvenience. You're like, oh, shit, now I got to... I got to bring the car to my mechanic on my lunch break tomorrow and then I'm going to have to get someone to pick me up and I won't have a car for a couple of days. And, you know, it's, it's a inconvenience and a pain in the ass. If you don't have the money, now it's stressful. Exactly. How, how are you going to get to work? How are you going to pay to get the car fixed? How, are you, how long are you going to have no car? So money is, and we've done an episode on money, one of our very early uh, episodes was around money with my good friend and financial planner, Mr. David Devine. So, you know, a huge amount of money has a huge impact on our mental health and as a result then on our physical health from the stress sure. and the worry and you know when your life savings are in jeopardy or you know it's that's gonna that's gonna get yeah, it my husband and i were talking about that this morning and uh, uh you know for for the middle class it we we tend to not get overstressed about about money we think about it a lot we try to plan we try to be smart but the safety net for the lower income earners is just not there. Mm. And the more the, the, the money situation in, I mean, I'm focused on America cause that's, that's where I'm from and that's, that's where our money is. Um, they, they're just, they, they're just going to get crushed by this as, as, as the economy just collapses in on them. And it's a real concern. Because, you know, how are we going to help those people and how are we going to treat them? We're going to just give them pills to get through it? Or is there any way for society to really look out for them and make sure that they don't fall into this dismal, horrible space? Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I've often spoken on the podcast as well of, you know, people then they get stuck in the cycle of poverty. You don't have the resources to get yourself out of it. And, you know, so therefore... You know, your children aren't going to have the opportunity where your parents can afford to send you to college. So you're probably going to have to leave, you know, leave school, go straight into a job, can't afford to go to college, probably going to be a low paying job. And that cycle of, of poverty then then continues for anyone within that. Sure. So very hard to, for anyone to, to get out of those circumstances. Yeah. So that that's definitely got me riled up today. Yeah. So yours is, more, yours is more global. I, I'm it's going to go. Yeah. Global. I'm going, I'm going to go deal. local again, <laughs> and it's the weather. Oh man, I, I feel so bad because I give up about the weather on this podcast so much because I'm Irish and that's what we do. 
And um, I didn't know we did it until I started talking to people from other nationalities. And they're like, Irish, you love talking about the weather. I'm like, do we? I was like, we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. I did not know that about you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like it's just been raining. I think for the last two weeks, I think it's been or the last oh, couple of weeks. Oh, my God. Here it's just too. rained every single day. Um, and you just, you just can't plan anything. And I've actually seen it. I've had a, had a good few clients this week, actually, that were coming in. And I was like, well, how are you feeling? It's like, oh. It's fucking weather, like it's just it just gets you. Like you just can't do anything. You can't make any plans. Can't bring the kids outside. You know they're stuck inside playing, and you don't want them on the tablets or you don't want them on the consoles, and you know. But you can't send them out. They're going to get drowned, and they're coming in from school, and so yeah, we rile again this week, as I'm sure it has been many times on the podcast. It's just <laughs> the weather and just the rain because we, you know, we don't get we don't get seasons. You know, we get the the. the the climate is typically fairly fairly okay. We don't get very harsh winters. The odd time we do, and then when we do, we're not equipped to deal with it because we're not used yeah. to having such hard winters. And we don't get scorching hot summers. So it's fairly mild throughout the year. And then, you know, we get up into the maybe maybe the high 20s on a really hot summer. Um, oh, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> if, like if, really if you ever, if you ever travel to Ireland... Oh, me I've too. Never... I, yeah, me too. I'm not built for this Irish weather. I can promise you that much. Well, if you jumped over to Moscow for a little bit, which you shouldn't do right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had the, the first summer, we the first winter we lived there. It started snowing in mid-September and didn't stop snowing until um, May. And it was, it was oh literally the, in the... The sky and the buildings were just that same gray, gray, dismal color all the time. And I said, how did these guys get through their lives without committing suicide all the vodka, time? Vodka, I think. So, Have a go. I think that's the answer. What's that? Vodka. vodka. <laughs> yeah. That's how, you, that's how you get through it. I'll yeah, keep my warm. husband and I really got into vodka when we lived there. I mean, get all these mixes. <laughs> but we had to hop over back to the Middle East to get some sun every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah, depressing. Yeah, I feel yeah. Like a few a few a few weeks of rain really doesn't compare to like six months of snow there. So, no. all right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can't complain too much. <laughs> well, if you but, come on this way, we have from April May straight through October. We don't have any rain at all. Just sunny blue skies. Wow. And what what would be the average sort of temperatures then around then? Uh, we get up to you know twenty eight into the thirties in the summer, July August. Uh, now it happens to be raining, and it, that's just not okay with me. But within the next two weeks, we'll be up in the 20s oh, well, pretty much every day, uh, 18, yeah, 19, and then well into the 20s, <laughs> yeah. straight through till till the end of the summer. Wow. And that's the way I like it. Uh, and me too, predictable. It's like, oh, let's let's do something outside. Okay, no problem at all. Let's plan to that's do right. something outside next week. Yeah, sure, no problem at all. <laughs> Can't do that in Ireland. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that that's my royal. A little bit more local this week, and uh, you, yours is more global. So yeah, big thinker. Yeah. yeah. Outside of all of that, have a go. We've touched on a, a couple of little things, but perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself. You've had quite a journey by the sounds of it so far. <laughs> tell tell yeah, us a little yeah. bit about your background and and where you're from. So I'm from New York, like we discussed, mm. and I became a teacher when I was the ripe old age of twenty. Uh, I became a teacher because education, school for me was a nightmare. I hated every second of it straight from the beginning of elementary school through college. 
in graduate school, I suddenly found my brain, which was really, really fun. And uh, I was actually asked to be the valedictorian. So that, that was that was a surprising turn of events. Mm. I missed it because I got married the next day. But I. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that that. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We do uh, life and fast forward, apparently. Uh, so while I was a teacher, I, I was teaching majority boys elementary school, and I was going for my master's in, in special education as I was going through uh, starting my career. And so the school kind of, I don't know why, trusted me with the kids that were more, let's say, problematic. So they were putting these kids with ADHD symptoms into my class. And I had a couple of kids who were gifted, a couple of kids with dyslexia. They, they threw them all in and said, well, good luck to you. I think the reason I got them now that I think about it is I was the most junior teacher. So the, uh, the other seasoned teachers got to choose their class, apparently. I thought I had, until this very second, I thought maybe as a compliment. And all of a sudden I realized this very second on your podcast that I was just too young to be able to choose my class. Anyway, I, I was blessed. I really was blessed by that because I love my students and they were especially the kids with which what I would call special energy. They were the ones who at recess time were telling me stories and, and circling around me and talking and talking and, and sharing things and making jokes. They were a riot and they were smart. And then we got in the classroom and I lost them. I could not get their attention. And I said, well, I got it. I got to face this challenge. There's a reason that these these kids and I are in this classroom together and I have to figure out how to help them. And that's when I started really without calling it ADHD. As a matter of fact, when my students, this was back when kids were taking two doses of Ritalin. They only had the short acting at the time. Uh, so they would have to go to the school nurse in the middle of the day. And I taught them from the second half of the day. And I was, I was in a different school in the morning. And... Uh, from the second half of the day, I would, so the kids have, would, were supposed to go get their second dose. And I asked the parents permission to, to, to let me just teach them as they were. Let, let's not do the second, let's not do the second dose. Let's try it out, see what happens. Mm. So they'd have their rebound at about lunchtime. And then they were ready to, to face the second half of their day where I was greeting them. And uh, I created a system for them, a program that really brought them into the center of the classroom because they kept asking me questions like, why do I have to know this information? Why is this information relevant for me? And you know what? That was a real burning question for me when I was in school. Mm. It drove me crazy that I spent so many hours of my life learning stuff that I had no use for. And no one could prove to me that there was any use. They said, oh, it'll make you more intelligent. Well, thank you very much. I'll read books. <laughs> um, so I was so, anyway, we did great. My students did great. I learned a lot. They taught me a lot. And uh, then I met my husband, who is probably the most energetic person on the planet. And just last night at 10 o'clock at night, we, we decided to head out to the supermarket, which happens to be open late. We came tripping in at one in the morning with all of our groceries. Uh, some of our kids were still awake. They came out to help us. And then my husband stayed up another hour to, I don't know, just do some work on his computer before he came to bed. That That's him. And then he woke up in the morning. It's not like he slept through the day. Mm. Uh, so my kids were, I have six kids, thank God. We have six kids, amazing, amazing group of guys. And uh, they were being diagnosed one after the next with ADHD, which really freaked me out because 
I knew everything about ADHD or so I thought, Mm. but the second it became personal, I really kind of lost my footing and I just was kind of following what the doctors were telling me to do. And it wasn't, it wasn't a blessing. It wasn't doing well for them. So that's when I took my deep dive into figuring out what's going on with ADHD. What's the history? What's the background? What are these medications? Are they good long-term, short-term? And trying to really figure out what the best practices were in terms of actual root cause intervention programs. And that's where we find us today because I've I've written two books uh, on the subject. One is the full intervention program, identifying root cause of your child's or your own ADHD symptoms and, and offering my full intervention program, which I use when I coach families and individuals and couples, as well as the second book, which is the whole history of of the medication, of the disorder, if we want to call it that way itself. And uh, it's been wild. It's been amazing. So for our for our parental listeners out there who may be, you know, and I, and I think a lot of the times parents, and you know, that, that old saying of mother always knows, I think a lot of parents kind of deep down maybe have a little suspicion or something, or when something gets said to them, they might go, oh, yeah, actually, actually, I'd always thought that. Had you considered any of that or what, what sort of behaviors would you have seen that would have led to led to your kids getting getting their diagnosis? Uh, I wasn't surprised when my kids were being diagnosed. And, and frankly, I'm not particularly impressed with the diagnosis process because um, basically what the doctor is doing is observing symptoms or taking my word for it that I've observed symptoms and the teachers observe symptoms and kind of rubber stamping that that that's essentially Mm -hmm. what an ADHD diagnosis is. So if I look at the checklist that I fill out and the teacher fills out, I can really diagnose the kid by myself and external external observable symptoms should not lead to a a psychiatric diagnosis, in my opinion. Um, What, what I saw to answer your actual question, uh, what I saw was my, my, my oldest, let's say, uh, she was always, this was back in Moscow. She would take her shoes off and she was in a smaller class, not a small class, like a special education class. It's just that there were less kids in the class, maybe 15, 16, which is wonderful for her. And, uh, she'd take her shoes off during class. And then sometimes she'd be running up and down the halls just to get some energy out and then go back and sit down. She's very bright, you know, thank God. And, mm-hmm. and she kept up and she was learning in, in Russian, Hebrew and English and learning the alphabets of all three. And wow. she learned it beautifully, but with a lot of energy, her teacher had to call her name three times before she really started to focus. And, um, yeah, and she would, she was extremely messy with all of her stuff and you know, everything. She was a shedder as I call it, you know, she'd walk in the front door and just drop things wherever she went, you know, just, whoa, strip, um, some sensory issues. She was very obsessed with screens. And this was just when there was, there only was a TV, but if there was a TV show on, she was there and she was in the screen. So that was also, so all of those things together, definitely. I was seeing, okay, this kid's got more energy. Looks like looks like that's the direction we would go in if we were to go in that direction. But I didn't get her diagnosed until we moved to Israel where the classrooms were much bigger. And uh, you know, she went into a class of 32 students from 15, 16. And at that point, within a week, the teacher was overwhelmed, was overwhelmed by her. 
And in, in Moscow, they were not telling me to go for diagnosis. They loved her. They, they couldn't get enough of her. And her, her spunk, her energy, her funny, cute comments were lit up the classroom. But in, in that big classroom, they, they just couldn't handle her. And um, is the practice over there, is it is a medication, as you said, in, in the States, it's Ritalin and stuff like that. Uh, was it the same in Israel then? Or what's that kind of oh, approach yeah. there? We have, yeah, we, we tend to uh, mimic uh, the American psychiatric uh, practices in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we mimic really the American healthcare practices. We are, are more socialized in turn, maybe more Canadian in our socialized medicine. Yeah, every, everybody has medical insurance here, but in terms of medicating, we're, we're big medicators. And there are some high school classrooms. I, I travel to different schools and I give lectures and, and I also observe kids there at, at parents' request. There are some classes that 50% of the kids are, are medicated. Wow. Yeah, Ireland Ireland doesn't have that approach. You know, typically with uh, any clients I'd see with ADHD and stuff like that, that, you know, they just try to work on the behaviors. You know, they're very, they don't seem as quick. And, and we've had that with any, any of our guests from the States. You know, I'm always shocked of how young, you know, they're, they're medicated for whatever the, the treatment may be. But it's straight away, straight away with, with, with the medication. We don't really yeah. have, not as much that approach over here. And to me, the, the bothersome part about it is less the, the quick medication, but the lack of curiosity. Mm. Because you're looking at a kid, let's say, a, you know, I have, I have clients who are being diagnosed and medicated at the age of four. There are two-year-olds uh, who are medicated. I haven't, I haven't yet encountered a two-year-old, uh, the family of a two-year-old who's been medicated, but definitely four, five, six. And I say, don't even consider going for a diagnosis until the end of first grade for the very first time, in my opinion. But th- that's it. That's just my own personal opinion. What I, but what, what bothers me is you're looking at a kid and the kid is essentially a healthy child. You don't, you don't see any outward signs of, of a problem. And that's what parents always say. Oh, you don't, you're, you're not respecting the challenge I'm going through because you can't see the disorder. So, but I'm saying, okay, if we can't see the disorder and I'm a mom of lots of kids diagnosed with ADHD that, you know, basically I have as many kids as four or five families where you come from. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so I, I can actually talk about this perspective and I would say, why don't we look at the kid and say, what's going on for that child? So for example, two of my children were diagnosed with celiac and I was, uh, gut dysbiosis would cause ADHD symptoms. And so instead of looking at the full child, looking if the child's gone through trauma or abuse, looking at the personality of the child and saying, oh, this child really is a healthy child, a smart child, a child with a high IQ perhaps, but is missing good habits. So let's work on habits. Let's work on discipline. But we don't ask questions. We, we fill out that checklist. And maybe in Ireland, you do ask questions, in which case I'm coming to visit. But where <laughs> I come from, there, there's no questions. The minute the doctor has seen enough symptoms and in his really like godly capacity, he now establishes your child to have some kind of brain disorder. And the, the whole thing is highly disrespectful to children. Mm. Well, I don't know if he would want to come here because it'd probably take a kid about two or three years to get diagnosed. 
as long as the waiting list is. So, <laughs> well, that might be okay because but, yeah. in that time, the child might actually develop health better habits. Maybe the patience and space gives the child a chance to grow up. Yeah. I don't but, know if the children who are quickly diagnosed do better. Yeah, that over here, really the, 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 the sort of process in the schools is they have what's called an SNA, special needs assistant. So an SNA is kind of there to assist the teacher. But, uh, you know, for kids with ADHD, they might take them out into the into the playground every, you know, every hour or so, let them run around, let them burn off some of that energy. If they're if they can see them getting a little bit agitated, they might, you know, they might take them out under those under those conditions. So that that seems to be how, how it how it works over here. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, less. Less uh, medication focused seems to be seems to be the approach here. Now, whether well, it changes again, we're, we're typically a good few years behind the states, so I wouldn't be surprised if it does tend to tend to follow. So, the, if we look at the 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 psychiatric outcomes for all psychiatric conditions in the states and compare it to countries that medicate less and are not so quick on the trigger of diagnosis, the outcomes in America are pretty dismal. They're they're not doing well. The, the mm. people are not one in four adults is, is taking a psychiatric medication chronically. That's a, that's not a good outcome. So mm. I don't know that their model is something we want to copy necessarily. Yeah. I, I certainly, certainly agree. And as a, any guess that comes on from the states, I'm just shocked at just how readily and at any age. And these are kids with brains that are still developing and, you know, that's got, that's going to impact, you know, you're putting them on medication from such a young age. That, that's going to affect them long term. Right. Mm. So one of my daughters just recently uh, said to me, I did medicate three of my children in elementary school. And uh, and I was doing my research while I was medicating them. And the school was, was pretty much saying, you know, you're either going to medicate your children and then we're going to let them study here or you're not. And then you could figure out what you want to do with them, but they won't be here. And that, that was essentially the reason. It was really, it was not an informed consent kind of decision. It was more of a, a forced uh, thing. the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, essentially, like you can keep your kid home. I, I landed up, in the end, I landed up homeschooling one of my children during uh, during COVID uh, because oh, wow. the, you know, they kept getting sent home for sitting next to someone who had sat next to someone at the, in the bus who had maybe had asymptomatic COVID. So I was like, okay, we're done with this. You'll stay home with me. We'll hang out. We'll have a great year together. We did. Um, She's back in school. And I asked her when she, in the first month that she got back, I said, honey, how was, how are you feeling in comparison to your friends who've been in school all year? Mm -hmm. You know, are you, are you behind? Do you feel like you have less skills than they have because she was home? And uh, she says, you know, I don't know what they learned all year last year. <laughs> she, she was she was way ahead of them, which is a little bit embarrassing for the school system. Mm. But uh, what was what was my point? Where was I going with this? Um, I Med- medication I uh, for young kids and the kind of the ultimatum you were given to medicate. Ah, so, or, so yeah. right. So I was out. So my daughter. So this is what she said to me uh, after having been medicated for a couple of years. She said the message she got from it was that the way she is, is never okay. And it really hit her self-esteem in a terrible way that she was always had to prove she was all right. She always had to be pulled together. And if she wasn't on medication, someone was going to check with her and say, are, are you, have you been medicated today? What's going on with you? Like she can't control herself and she has no self-control unless she's been chemically altered. 
And, uh, and now she's in her twenties and she says, you know, that, that was really a hit for me. And I'm just coming to terms with how challenging it was to get through elementary school that way. And then having to spend high school, none of my kids were medicated in high. By then I had learned enough to pull the, pull the plug on that. Uh, but she said in high school, she always had to be pulled together and all right. And, you know, and, and that, and it's good, it's good to be pulled together. I'm not against that, but Mm -hmm. This was because she wasn't okay, not because she chose it. Now she chooses it and she's flourishing and she's wonderful. But uh, that, that's, that's really challenging for a kid. Mm. Have You said there's six kids. Have all six been diagnosed? So that's a good question. Uh, theoretically, probably they all would have been, but I just stopped getting diagnoses because mm. I, I saw the diagnostic process and I was like, okay, I get it. I understand. I could do this as well as you can. Mm. And really the only reason to get diagnosis is if you need special services, like you were talking about mm. before, mm. or if you need, you know, different type of testing, like a kid needs to test read out loud or to shorten the test, things like that. And, uh, and if you want to medicate. So in some of my kids' cases, I, I didn't need any of that. Mm. So we handled it ourselves. Mm. I was having a discussion with a client last night. And as I said to any, any parent and any client, I was like, you know, parenting is probably one of the hardest, it's probably the hardest job you'll ever do. And she was like, you know, I just, I don't understand, you know, I just don't have as much patience with my daughter as I did for my son, you know, and, you know, I need to get back to that. I was like, yeah, but there's, there's a big factor there that you've forgotten about is, you know, when you were dealing with him, you were only dealing with him. (laughs) Now you're trying to deal with your daughter as well as another kid. (laughs) So every parent knows it's, it's really hard. You know, parenting is so hard. What's it like parenting six children, all most likely ADHD, have a go. (laughs) What does that look like? (laughs) I always tell people after the fourth, it was smooth sailing, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's a handful. What, what I recommend to people is if you want to have a couple of kids, have them close in age to each other because my kids are good friends and they entertain each other. It's a lot of years of a lot of physical hard work, um, but a lot of joy, a lot of enjoyment from the kids as well. And after you've done with the physical hard work, there's a lot of years of emotional hard work. Um, but right now I'm finding as my kids are slowly coming into their 20s, I have one kid in elementary school now and they're in two in high school and then the rest are already adults. And uh, it's just joyful. It is unbelievable to see them grow up. And um, parenting is the hardest thing we'll do. It's also the most gratifying. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's really, it's not the only way, but it's the biggest way that we can become our best selves. Our kids really force us to rise to the occasion. They force us to grow up. They force us to see the positive, to, to find our best attributes and bring them out. Or they force us in, to be miserable and terrible and and abusive to them. And here's hoping that that most, that in most cases that doesn't happen, but it does happen a lot. And it, it, it forces us to be our very, very best selves. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. You sound like the very stereotypically proud Jewish mom. Oh my God. <laughs> I am such a stereotypically proud, proud Jewish mom. <laughs> I always tell my kids, I say, you know, God, he sends down our spirit when we're born 
and I guess our soul. And I say, you know, God has has this he has this collection of souls, and he chose the six best souls, and he sent them my way. Now, does that not sound like a proud Jewish, typical yeah, proud Jewish mom? <laughs> it just, I just have a notion of God just up there going, here, take that one, take that one, take that one. <laughs> you handle that one. You did, you did good in that first one. All right, take this one. <laughs> for me, it's like, you know, God was just looking at me, saying, you deserve another fantastic one. And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> So they are no walk in the park. They, yeah. my God, my kids are something special, but they're the best. Yeah. They are the best. What, what were some of the difficulties? Well, I know that they seem to range. There's quite a broad range there, Abigail, but, you know, what were some of the difficulties that you faced, you know, trying to, you know, just trying to parent six kids is hard. Trying to six kids that are maybe highly energetic, multiply that. Right. <laughs> So I would say physical exhaustion is definitely at the top of my list. <laughs> so whenever I check in with a client about ADHD symptoms to figure out where it's coming from, the first thing I'm going to ask about is sleep, because I know that when I was having lots of kids, one after the next, and they really, they're all born in 11 and a half years. I, I, I don't know. I must have mm. been stoned when I was making those decisions. They're, they're so, Irish Catholic numbers, Abigail. We respect that over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my so my mother is one of 13 so wow yeah. i'm actually one of eight. Oh, oh. so yeah. not bad so the irish catholic and, and the and the orthodox yeah. jews are are really in a race with each other i don't know who's winning right now but what is it? someone needs to populate the world everyone else has given up on this whole thing uh but exhaustion so i always check about sleep because i remember like not being able to complete sentences sometimes like being lost in the middle of a thought someone asked me what my husband's name is and i'm like really really has to throw a question like that at me right now i can't possibly remember that i know i have a husband shouldn't that be enough uh so the exhaustion definitely was very present um balancing act making sure that that all the kids really get seen and heard is is so it's so important and it's so difficult and and i i would take my kids out on dates so that i really got a chance to to bond with each child mm. separately but there's just so many hours in a day i think for me the challenge the biggest challenge was messages from outside of people being critical of of my kids and saying saying things like they didn't think my kids would make it or that they, you know, and they needed to be this way or that way or trying to fix my children. And instead of seeing them for who they were, that for me was, was very challenging. And, and I, I like to say that, that they were wrong. They were, uh, and my kids pulled out ahead and they're, they're doing great. And, and, um, I would hope that the system that raises our children would have a little bit more faith in our kids and in the whole generation of kids. We're always down on them. We always think we know better. We did better. We didn't do better. We just didn't. You know, I was a kid once. I remember our generation. We, we were just not rocking it. And, and uh, we just have to have more faith in them and also be more of a support system to young moms and dads that are they're doing their best to raise kids instead of calling the mother on the phone and saying, your kid just uh, poured water on the floor and then a teacher slipped on it. And, and uh, now she's gone to the hospital. That actually didn't happen to my child, believe it or not. I, my kids are cap were capable of that back then, but it was, it was a client story, mm. but uh, okay. So what do you want me to do now? Like, that's your job. You're in school discipline. 
take care of the situation. You want me to swoop in and fix them? Childhood takes time. It's a process. And everyone wants those quick fixes. And and it's really harmful to young parents who are just trying to to make it. Hmm. What advice would you give to those to those parents out there, Abigail? You've 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 got your experience. You you've racked up your years yeah. now. You know you you're you're the woman to, that that can preach on this. So I would say first of all that you need to believe and have faith in your own children. Know that you and your child are you're a perfect fit for each other. You've been put together because you have what it takes to raise that child. Now, does that mean that you're doing everything right? Oh, absolutely not. We make, you know, making mistakes is baked into the cake. There's no way to avoid it. But definitely have confidence that you can find the skill and that you can make this work. And the noise around you is really static. It's people that don't have anything better to do and need to be critical of you. You, what, what, what I did, and I recommend that everyone do, is find your people. You've, you have a neighbor who seems to really be raising her children nicely. The kids are sweet. They're, they're respectful. Go hang out with your neighbor. Pump her with questions. Find out what she's doing. Mothers and fathers. I, I keep talking in female, but I'm, I'm you know, a good dad mm. is, uh, you know, is nothing more important than a good, supportive, present dad. And, and honestly, I think that, that a, a present strong father often is more critical to the confidence and stability of their child than the mother is. So, you know, be, be a great dad, be there for your children, but go ahead out there and, and find your people, interview them, get all the information you can make mistakes, be okay with it, and then get advice on how to do it better. When we get stuck in this mindset that we're supposed to be perfect parents, then we always fail because there is, I've never met a perfect parent. I certainly am not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we have to accept that we're going to make mistakes. And, and my kids and I, we laugh about it now about the mistakes I made when they were younger. Of course they remember it. And they can say it to me without hurting me because I know I've made mistakes mm-hmm. and they know I made mistakes as did they. And they could go into adulthood knowing that that's okay because we all can repair those mistakes. So build a like-minded community around you and, and have confidence. And don't be running to pathologize your child. The chances are your child's healthy. Mm. And needs help, needs skills, needs help. That's why I sat and wrote those books. I, I, I finished... The, the first one during during the first lockdown, imagine that hyperactive husband, six, six very energetic kids mm. and a dog all locked in the house with me. Oh, and so <laughs> it was it was really a passion to get this book out because we do need help. We do need skills. We don't want to just guess mm. and, and shoot from the hip. We want to be informed when we are educated as parents. We're powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things that struck me there, as you, as you described it, was that you know your kids were able to say it to you. Yeah, you made yeah. you made some mistakes, and I think that's that's the key piece. I remember having a conversation with someone recently, and my former former car host on the show, my my eldest son Cameron. Uh, I was I was talking about Cameron. So I was getting on. I said, oh, he's doing great. He's working on the radio there. He's you know he's flying away, and I'd, I don't know. I'd mentioned a situation that had come up a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, I said you know Cammy, he's he's fairly 
he's very moralistic like you know he's right and wrong and he and he he will you know he he's no problem standing by that and i said it's really a thing i admired and there was there was a situation in the family and i said oh i said you know oh geez cammy pulled me on it like you know he, he came out and he came out swinging you know and i was like and there was a part i was going you know fair play he wasn't insulting he was assertive and i was like you know fair play and this thing the same person goes yeah he goes and but he wasn't afraid to come out swinging and that's the difference yeah you can make these mistakes and once the kids know that it's safe to have those conversations rather than living in fear of i can't say this or you know they're coming out purely on the attack you did this and you did that that, 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 that. you know that's that's an entirely different experience that again you can you know hold your hands up and go that's that's a win it's a win (laughs) you can can call me on it and you're not afraid to yeah. And, and another thing that I, I so enjoy doing with my kids is throughout my day, I have all of these dilemmas. I have, you know, something happens in the supermarket on the road. I remember I was once driving and I by mistake cut someone off. I'm, re- I'm really actually an excellent driver. I love to drive. It's one, it, was one, it was a favorite pastime growing up for sure. And uh, so, I, so I was I was in my own thoughts and I cut someone off and, and the guy pulls up behind me at a red light. I'd forgotten about it, of course, because I was still in my thoughts. And he said, did you just cut me off over there? And I said, oops, sorry about that. Didn't mean to really apologize. And the guy nearly gets out of his car and he says, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, oh boy. Okay. Um, Some undiagnosed rage going on over there. (laughs) But I bring stories like that home and I, and I talk to my kids, my husband, we have conversations and I, and I bring that up and I say, Hey guys, what would you do in a situation like that? So I'm bringing my life to them and welcoming them to bring their life to me. So parents are always saying, how do I start conversations with my kids? And it's so important that we talk to them Mm. all the time. Just that, that empty space in the middle of the day where we're not, you know, we don't have an agenda. We don't have some specific things we must accomplish with them right now. That's where we build the relationship. So when, when, and I say to them, do you share with your kids? Do you share your life with them? Mm. They're going to copy whatever you do. Our children just hold a big, fat mirror to our faces. And they're doing exactly what we're doing. So as they grow up, we get to see who we are through yeah. their behavior. And and they sit around with me. I have just, just uh, another evening. My husband came in and he took a picture. My kids and I, were, we were just sitting around on our comfy couch and, and talking and we were having a great time and we didn't need a movie and we didn't, we were just, just bonding all of us spontaneously because for so many years, we've just been talking for fun. And uh, that's another thing I highly recommend to parents. Don't be afraid of mistakes. Let your kids know you made mistakes mm. and, and bring your life to them. Yeah. And that's, that's a key piece I, I get with a lot of parents that I'd say, I was like, yeah, don't be afraid to hold your hand up and go, yeah, you know what? I, hand, I handled that wrong. You know, because what, what are you yeah. modeling for them? You're modeling for them, well, it's okay to make mistakes, but the important thing to do is you apologize for your mistakes. And, you know, the, the relationship ruptures and the key part is then it repairs. Right. And you actually have a better relationship afterwards. Absolutely. Apologies yeah. tend to build yeah, uh, build us up, build our build our bonds better. Yeah, I remember I had a had a client. I was years ago now. At this point, you reminded me there with the with the driver with the rage, and he had a lot of anger problems, and there was a lot of issues in the marriage. And um, his son was hitting a teenager now, so you know he was acting out. He was picking up on everything that was going on in the house, and um, you know the the, the client 
called his son on the behavior and he goes, yeah, but who the fuck are you to talk to? You used to fucking do this. I used to do that. And you fucking, he goes, yeah, you know what? I did. I did. You're absolutely right. But you know what? I learned there's a better way. And that, the way I used to do it, that wasn't right. And it's like, what a huge moment. Like what, what a parenting moment there to go. That's yeah, beautiful. I was wrong. I was wrong. I didn't know better. I do now. Yeah. And then, you know, my husband traveled a lot when we were, my kids were small, which is just adds another element. So I was often just by myself with the kids and, um, and our kids threw that back in our face and uh, years later and they said, well, where were you dad? Like, mm. why were you not at the graduation? He's very present when he's here, but when you're traveling, you know, we can half out of every month and the kids are little that though that time is very precious. Now he had to do it because to support the family, you know, he wasn't doing it for his, for his own entertainment, mm. but the children were able to come to him and to me and say, why did you permit him to do that? Now that's a good question. I have to think that through. I don't know why I did that. I wasn't thinking. So thank you for bringing that up. And he has apologized for it. And he, and, and, and my kids all are just like, there's no way I'm going to be traveling for a living. He's, He's a works with alternative energy and, and there's very little of that in Israel. So is he's really spreading out all over the world with, with what he does. And, and, um, but there's a better way and we can fix ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And, and permission to, you know, cause we're all going to, and I'd say to clients the whole time, you know, they'll come into me and I go like, I say, you're going to, you're going to pay me at the end of the session to tell you this. You're not a perfect parent. You're not <laughs> perfect. You're not a perfect person. Like the other 8 billion of us. You know, you're going to make mistakes, but it, it's owning that and being able to have the conversation with the child. And, you know, because that, as you said, strengthens that strengthens that bond that, you know what, we can go toe to toe here and no one's going to deliver a knockout blow. Right. And that's that's a huge exactly. difference. There's, there's safety in that, that the kids can actually come to you and address those issues. And it's so important that you share that with people because it is also safety in knowing that they don't even have, they don't have to be perfect. And, and that all the messages they got that they were supposed to be were wrong and they could just be them and be on a journey all the time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I always, the other thing I said to clients is you do your children a disservice to be a perfect parent because oh, yeah. you're not setting them up for the real world where you, you will face disappointment and you will face not getting your own way all the time. You know, so what what do you do when you just throw them out? You give them absolutely everything and then you throw them out into the world. They're, they're not going to they're not going to be able to cope with that. Yeah. A big part of my program for talking about giving your kids absolutely everything is that's not a great idea. Mm-hmm. And, and we became who we are through our challenges. Whenever I meet up with an adult that I'm impressed with and I ask what their challenges were, there's always a lot of them. None of them grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth and and had their life paved for them. They always had to overcome significant challenge to get to where they were. And um, when we allow our kids to grow up in this kind of bubble wrapped environment where we're just making them happy and keeping them distracted, we're doing the worst disservice for them. So for me, it's very important that kids have clear rules clear um, consequences for those for for oh, for breaking those rules mm. and also responsibilities in the home uh, before before I came into this meeting I have to have two kids sitting in the living room right now and I, I gave them each a responsibility one is one is making some dessert and the other one is cleaning out the freezer I mean 
in 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 a perfect world, they're both doing it right now while we talk. It, it's possible. <laughs> perfect world, they're doing <laughs> it without being asked. <laughs> yeah, it's possible that I will come out and have to give them yeah. another reminder. But it's a very a gentle, sweet reminder. But it's very possible that. that but but they they must do it. It's not, and, and they must do it because they must become responsible adults. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're just preparing them for the world, and as a parent, that's that's our job. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the husband being high energy. Have a have a <laughs> Is that a oh, euphemism yeah. as well for for more ADHD in the mix? Oh my God, he's totally ADHD. <laughs> Off the charts. <laughs> we, we had Eric on yeah. the podcast talking about his experience of ADHD. Um, but what's it like to be the partner of someone with ADHD? Um, well, it requires a tremendous amount of patience and resilience. And the biggest piece is a sense of humor. I've, I kind of have these different... Uh, explanations or descriptions of things that go on in my house. We have one that's, that's just happened so often, which is the Gimpel double exit. Whenever my husband or my kids leave the house, I count to 10 and they come back and then they get whatever it is. I count to a minute and they come back one more time. It should be the Gimpel triple exit, but there's, that's just a running regular thing. But my husband has been really learned to steer his energy very well. And we're a different kind of family because while other families are sitting around on a Friday night or, or just on a vacation day on their devices, watching something, playing something, we go out and hike. We are, we are always, you know, strapping on our hiking shoes and out we go. And um, we've traveled up and down the country. We've hiked in other countries. Uh, and that's what we like to do for fun. And what we found is that we we get the kids in the car. And when they were younger, they'd be like, no, no, we want to play with our friends. We want to do this. We want to do that. In the car we go, nothing to talk about. Within five minutes of getting to whatever hiking trail we've gotten to, they are ecstatically happy and calm. And my husband's learned to do that for himself. He's a marathon runner. Mm. Uh, I've only run 10K with him. I've never gone past that. That was really quite enough for me. Um, and exercise is very self-medicating. And he also is uh, has learned to be very organized with his time. So we do have this, the double exit. So there's always those little things that hang on. And also I've learned, I've had to learn to like slow him down and like get him to focus and listen. Um, but the biggest trick I've learned, and this is for all the partners of people with ADHD mm-hmm. out there, is... Compliments. Compliments is, <laughs> it's the magic secret because when you give, when you give these guys a compliment, they will literally figure out how to do anything. Now it's not manipulative. Mm. It's just a very good way of communicating because people with what I call an instant gratification personality, which is often the personality of someone who's diagnosed with ADHD, mm. uh, they want everything here and now and fun and interesting and dangerous and, and all that. And they're kind of living on the edge all the time. But part of that is the feedback that they get from people around them. So they're either going to make you crazy and then you're going to yell at them all the time, which is generally what happens. 
and, and you know, in the world with the, these, these people who diagnosed with ADHD tend to get yelled at and, and tend to get very negative feedback from their environment. Or you take that exact same energy and you switch it around and you give really, really solid, strong, emotional compliments. And then that's all they want in life. And it's for the kids, it's for the husband, it's for the wife, whatever you want. Uh, that's, that's really a key to good communication. Yeah. yeah I, I had a conversation with someone recently about, well, if you're in, if you're in your job, in your workplace, getting criticized every single day, you're not going to want to stick around in that job. Oh, no. Mm. Same, same with the relationships. Sure. And uh, relationships are something that you have to work on all the time. And uh, that, that's why they're failing so much, because bubble wrapped kids uh, expected bubble wrapped uh, relationship. And yeah. it yeah, doesn't work that way. Yeah, and, and it, it takes work, and that's that's the key word. People just imagine, oh well, if you love each other and that's your soulmate, it's just everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be great. I was at the clients. It's like, no, love takes work. You know, you got to wake up every day and choose to love that person. They're going to piss you off. They're going to annoy you. You know, <laughs> but you choose to stay with them and you choose to work through those problems or you choose to put up with those quirks. So it's not, it's not, a, yeah. it's not the Disney <laughs> movie. <laughs> exactly. Last night when we got back at, mid, at one in the morning from shopping. Uh, so as we were unloading the groceries, my husband says, you know, we're, we're a good team. And I said, oh, yeah, we're a fantastic team. Now, we're married 25 years. Wow. We, just, we just last week had our 25th anniversary. Wow. So like we know each other a long time. You, that shouldn't be such an exciting sentence. Yeah, we make a fantastic team. Like, wow. And this morning, he said, you have no idea what a smile you put on my face, how happy I was when I went to sleep last night. That's how far a little compliment goes. It's so worth it. It's so easy. Mm. Wow. There you go, folks. Whether it's a parent or a, or a partner, compliments. That's going to get you, get you along with genuine compliments. Genuine, without adding the butt. Yeah, yeah. No, none of the butt stuff. None of the, uh, you know, wow, we're great partners, but you always manage to stick something in the cart I don't want. You know, don't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mentioned the book that you had, the first one you completed during lockdown. I think I'll tell us a little about the about the book and then the books. Ah, okay. So here's the here's the the, the first one. Look at that cover. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Actually, hyper healing for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Hi for healing. And uh, the, the picture I chose is a, three kids on, on a little car just racing with no, no brakes down a mountain. And uh, it was uh, the minute I saw it, I'm like, oh, there are my kids. And, and my son happened to have a son who's extremely handy. And he, he just loves to build things. He was 15 at the time of, the, of that first lockdown. And he and his friends secretly got together and were building this like, I don't know, Dr. Seuss kind of bike car structure it was unbelievable <laughs> and uh the minute they were done building it they unfortunately broke the, the lockdown and got in it at the top of our mountain i live right at the top of a mountain i see clear out to to the mediterranean sea wow. which is unbelievable mm. and it's not beachside property it's, it's the mediterranean is an hour drive away it's just i'm really high up and and they went flying down the mountain together i got i, I mean we nearly got arrested for it but that was them. They were like flying hmm. off the edge of the of this like man-made car and having the time of their lives. Uh, and, and they're the best, most creative kids on the planet for sure. 
so the book, the, the first book, Hyperhealing, is the Empowered Parents Complete Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD Symptoms. What was important to me is, is really stressing that the child's a healthy child mm. and we're dealing with observable symptoms. And our goal is to ask the question, why? Why is a child struggling with these symptoms? There are so many different answers. And I chose the most likely scenarios, why your child would be struggling with ADHD symptoms and offer uh, hands-on real life solutions that you can actually follow. I love it when when uh, parents get together as groups and they read the book together because I have an action plan at the end of every chapter. And if you have that once a week, that Sunday night hour where you discuss one chapter and then you have an action plan for the next week, then everybody's improving their communication, their discipline, their emotional, their EQ mm -hmm. uh, together as a group and, uh, and then moving on together. And you, you create a great community of supportive parents. That's what I was talking about before. Choose your people and create a community. So that, that first book is really uh, everything that's written in the book, I've tried. It's tested. The stuff that didn't work didn't make it into the book. This is real life stuff. I'm in my own home with my clients, with my students. I now teach in college, so I have a lot of college students that are going out and testing out these methods as well. And uh, so that's that's that book. And it's really a full coaching program for the price of a book, which was my goal. Because like we were saying before, the poor people have no safety net. Mm -hmm. And they have no way to access real high quality help. The only thing they have to access is a prescription. And, and that's not fair. Mm -hmm. So I said, let me just put the whole program out there so people don't have to go for coaching. They can get the help they need uh, by reading or listening to the book. And uh, the second one, which is Hyper Healing, Show Me the Science, uh, smaller book. The first one's 400 pages. It's massive. Um, but a lot of people are buying it in audio and we're kind of like having a conversation, which is great. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I, I actually, um, recorded the audio so that it would be personal. And, um, so the second one really talks about the science behind the ADHD diagnosis, all the studies, how did they get to the diagnosis itself? And also looking at the brain studies, is there really a structural difference in the brain of uh, people with ADHD? Do they have a lack of dopamine? So I'm not giving all the answers, um, but the, those questions I address, and then I go into the medication treatment. And my goal always is to give parents absolute informed consent so that even if they choose to medicate, go for it. I chose to medicate, not really, but I medicated. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world, but you should know what you're doing before you do it. And you should also be educated enough to be able to have a good, productive conversation with your kids, uh, teachers, and doctor. Great. Outside of the books, Abigail, how can people find you online then? So my website's probably the best way to, to have direct contact with me. It's uh, hyperhealing.org and people reach out to me directly. I also have a great quiz on uh, for adults and for children on the website that really gives you a sense of what the cause of your ADHD symptoms are so you can start your journey from the right place. Mm. And I, I put a lot of thought into the quiz because I wanted to give as much free information as possible. You could even download a free ebook on the website as well. Um, I'm on Instagram, hyperhealing.adhd. I have a, um, a um, YouTube channel, which is Hyperhealing Mom. I've got tons of free information there. And uh, 
yeah, you can find me a lot of places. Excellent. Thank you very much. What did I tell you? I told you. Abigail is basically Beverly Goldberg, highly educated and highly experienced. I wouldn't be surprised if she goes around calling all our kids schmoopy. Uh, if people are still watching the Goldbergs, it, it, it's seriously deteriorated in quality. But absolutely, the very proud Jewish mom, and you can tell her kids with that uh, with that attitude of hers are likely thriving because of it, having that love and support and encouragement from her. Before we leave, the last words of wisdom with Abigail, you know what to do, folks. Just a quick last plug on the social media. That is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And the handle on all of those is at STMH Podcast. The YouTube channel, please hit click, please hit like, please hit subscribe, please comment. That's really going to help the channel to grow. And it's going to justify all the work that I put into putting up these episodes on YouTube and out onto all of the major podcast providers. So subscribing to the channel is really going to help. Dropping those dropping those comments will help as well. If you've got some feedback, please do slide into any of the DMs or drop a comment on any of the any of the posts that you see during the week. Let me know that you're out there listening. Let me know where in the world you're out there listening and let me know what's resonated off these episodes. If you haven't already, check out the website www.stmhpodcast.com There you can sign up to the newsletter and you can also search all of our previous episodes and you can also email the show and that is hello at stmhpodcast.com the big big help that's going to help the podcast continue to grow and to reach more people as we straight talk mental health is to give a five star rating on spotify and itunes slash apple podcasts if you give a five star review it will be greatly appreciated so if you've learned something from this episode if you've been entertained by this episode please do consider giving a five star review that would be really appreciated that's it for this week's folks but you know what i'm gonna be back in two weeks time you know what that means it's gonna be same bad time same bad channel and in the meantime Look after yourselves and look after each other. One of the things we ask of every guest that comes on, Abigail, is we ask them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings, something to have taken from this life, whether it's a motto or a creed or something like that that they live by. You've got the experience. You've, you've, you know, you've, you've put it out there. You've put those words on paper. You've stood by it. But is there any words of wisdom that you'd, that you'd share with the listeners and, and viewers out there? So I would say, um, can I say two things? Yeah, absolutely you can. Yeah, bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a New York Jewish mom. We're always, we're always giving advice to everyone. So you walk down, you walk down the street in New York with a baby in a stroller, and everyone's like, "Put the hat on." Oh, take the hat off. Oh, your child's sock fell off. So I can't control it. Uh, if your child's been diagnosed with ADHD, you're seeking diagnosis. You get the diagnosis calm down, slow yourself down. Nothing has changed. I know I felt when I brought my child, my oldest in for diagnosis, that she was just the best kid on earth. And she still is. When we walked into the doctor's office and she was peppy and happy and all that. And we walked out and I felt like I was like escorting a disordered child out of the office. And that all happened in the span of 10 minutes. We should not allow anyone to curse ourselves or our children that way. Your child is healthy. Calm yourself down. Take a journey of curiosity. Get to know your child better. Look at your child fresh and say, why? Why is my child struggling? And reach out to the people you trust. Do not accept any diagnosis at face value. It's just an observable experience. That's it. It's like having strep, your your throat hurting. You go to the doctor, you describe that your throat's hurting would you accept a diagnosis of what's wrong with your throat without having a swab, without having a blood test? That's what an ADHD diagnosis really is. 
It's there, there's no deep analysis of what's going on. So have faith in yourself as a parent, have faith in your child and take it slow and figure out why. And this way you'll actually be able to raise a healthy, resilient child. People with ADHD symptoms, they fly, they do great when they get the right kind of intervention mm. and they have people that believe in them. So that's number one. And number two, which is very tight re related to this is don't let those people who are negative and to doubt you and who are telling you who you are and what you're capable of, don't hang out with them. Clear your life of those negative influences. It doesn't matter who it is. There are going to be people who are going to be really proud of you and are going to be encouraging you while you make mistakes and while you dust yourself off and pick yourself back up again. You don't need the people who are pointing at you when you did trip and fall down and, and saying, I told you so. That's, that's not the influence that's going to help you be strong and be a better, more resilient parent.